Uh, it's humbling, and have you found it freeing? It's very freeing. Grace is free. I don't know, we still have to make a choice, so it's just, it's very hard to understand. I don't really believe it all, but, you know, I'm still here, sitting in the middle of two chairs. <laughs> well, I don't agree with all that, but, you know, I'm here. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, God so loved the whole world. You know, it just seems like it's really, like, if, you, if it's all freeing, then why do we still have to make a choice? We still, it's not, because... God chose me, and, and, I, and I could say yes, finally, or maybe I said it a lot of times over and over, I'm not sure. Seems like I got saved every time the Gideons came around the Bible, I signed my name, and then, you know. Um. Yeah, difficult concepts to wrestle yeah. with, right? See, so so yeah. for you, Wanda, you might be struggling with what this means, and what this means, but somebody else might struggle with what forever means. I didn't circle this word today, but we could talk about hell being forever all day right now. And some people would really struggle. I bet you you don't struggle with the concept uh, no, of just, hell. He said that, that's it, you know. Right. Right. You know, so some people accept certain things. You know, and so there's a little rich man down there, and he's, he's there forever, and he knows it. And he asks for help for his brothers, and he doesn't get it. He knows he's there. He's yep. just forever. So some people might really struggle with, I sin, I sin once, but then I suffer forever. Some people would really find struggling with an understanding of how is this just. Nobody ever sins once. But, <laughs> right, right. You, you're, you're correct. They even you say know. for a lifetime. And some people will struggle with, well, even in hell, though, people keep sinning. What's the sin they keep sinning in hell? Rejection of God. Continue to reject God. Well, you think, do you think if they ever accepted God in hell, they'd get out? No. No. Because they never Because, can, of, because, because of what I believe. Made. I know. The origins of what it means to be chosen. So <sighs> we'll get there. Actually, some of our verses today. We'll never today. get there. <laughs> 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 I mean, we just got hope thinking. We'll just sit here and smile. You know. What's that, Wanda? We'll just sit here and smile and agree with you. And then we'll just go outside and say, no, nah, <laughs> well, that's fine. You you can do that. If you I like. know because I have a choice. Like. <laughs> Ooh. He's, he's gonna leave it to God to work on you. Well, God does. I mean, goodness sakes. You know, I'll lose a whole night of sleep now. Tonight, I'll probably have a whole oh. night of night. So maybe, Jesus. maybe, maybe we can go right to First Samuel 19. We'll just get right into the meat. Uh. The Bible talks about God, angels, spirits, and humans in these passages. These two passages I think I've talked about, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. Um, the, I've used these passages before, and actually I was trying to study 
passages about Jonathan and David's friendship, and I actually stumbled across this passage as dealing actually with spirits, angels, and demons and stuff. And I was like, whoa, I don't remember this being here before. But it, it goes, uh, the, theological concepts tie in with 2 Corinthians 4 and 2 Timothy 2. So, be ready. We'll go to 1 Samuel 19 instead of 2 Corinthians and 2 Timothy as a reference. I sent those out in the study notes uh, to consider what's, what's being said there. But we'll, we'll get started in a word of prayer, kind of dive into the text today and talk more about trying to understand what the Bible is saying on both sides of these things. Okay? Lord, thank you for everyone being here today. Lord, help us to glorify you in everything that we say and do. Lord, please help us to be more holy and to be more like you, Father. Help us to care for one another. Help us to live sacrificially for one another. Help us, God, to uh, esteem one another more highly than our own selves, to not only look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others, and that we would not seek prestige or position above someone else. For as you have said, Lord, that to be great, to be a great person in your kingdom means to be slave of all, to be servant. God, help us to recognize the amazing truth of what that means and how Christ exampled that perfectly when he emptied himself, did not try to grasp for his position, but lowered himself and came humbly to serve men that are sinful, men and women that are sinful and have disobeyed him in so many ways. God, help that truth to change our hearts and our minds and help us, Lord, to, to love one another for your sake, for your honor and glory. Help us, Lord, in this passage so that we might honor you. Amen. That way I'm not tempted to chew for you guys. Okay, so Romans 11, 7 through 10, read this. What then, what Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says this, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. What then? So Paul asks the question, and we can review 11, 1 through 6. What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained. And so if we go back to Romans 10, you'll see that Israel, in a sense, was seeking God, but it was not in accordance with knowledge. So there is a wrong way to seek. And so Israel is seeking God, but that seeking does not result in them finding God. They actually do not obtain God. And they don't, in this passage specifically, the it is referring to the salvation that is of the Lord. 
And then it says, but those who were chosen obtained it. And so Paul is talking about how not all ethnic Israelites are finding God, even though it appears as if many of them are seeking God. They're being religious. They're doing religious things. They're reading the Old Testament. They're obeying it in, in, a great, in, in many ways and in great ways, doing lots of it. But they're not actually finding God. They're not obtaining salvation. So, the reality is that it's according to God's gracious choice in this passage, the power to redeem, preserve, and keep for himself, like we learned last week, people for himself to obtain salvation. So Paul answers himself and directs us that Back, like back to, to Romans 10, 1 and 2, Israel has not arrived at what it's trying for. And so there is a sense in which trying and seeking can be in a wrong way, that you don't obtain the result that you, that you desire or want, specifically salvation. The language of election, choice, chosen, hardening, grace, and uh, such circles back to Romans 9 and 10 and all the way back to Romans 1. Three, five, and it can be difficult, like I said earlier in the introduction, as a Christian to understand and accept passages like this one, but not everybody struggles with the same ideas. Some people might struggle with justice, the concept of, uh, does anybody struggle with penal substitution? That Jesus can die for your sins and you're freed? That's very controversial actually in legal systems that idea extremely I don't think there's a justice system on earth that's like that where a judge will be like alright put him to death and let him go free who did the crime anybody know a place like that I read about one that, that story that peace child story where the one tribe would give a baby to, to right the wrong and the other tribe would take the baby I think they were they've been taught the gospel that tribe and so they've been warring for a really long time if I'm well, right I think, no I think I think that who was it Richardson I think was his last name that's how he took the gospel to them <clears throat> you give a baby they no they understood that so he was able to share the gospel with them because they understood that concept oh I didn't know it was like that I thought it was a different thing. The story is called Peace Child. Yes. It's been a while since I've read it. But. Yeah. Well, that would be a rare exception, right? Yeah. In any big countries you know of where people operate like that judicially? Where the judge, or where a judge specifically says, I'll kill my own son to let this criminal go free. So there are controversial mm -hmm. ideas in the Bible that we're asked to believe even though they're really difficult to understand. I still struggle understanding God killing his son so I can go free, okay? I struggle with that still. I'm gonna teach that, that's what it says, but it's hard to fully grasp. It's hard to fully grasp. Okay, so seeking. Let's turn back to Romans 3 real quick, this concept of seeking. We kind of talked about Romans 10. There's a way in which you can seek God, but it's not right. But turn back to Romans 3. 
verses 10 and 11. And I'll, I'll read the last couple of words of verse 9. Paul says, all, meaning Jews and Greeks, all people are under sin. And this is his summary conclusion of humanity. Jews and Gentiles, it doesn't matter. The, everyone on the earth, all are under sin. And the idea here is uh, that you are under sin's mastery. As Paul continues to unfold what it means to get out from under sin in the rest of the letter. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. <clears throat> you know, as an, as an apologist, you could really struggle convincing people that they're sinful and that they're bad and that there's nobody on the earth that's righteous. Somebody, some people will really struggle with that. A lot of people today, especially in America, want to believe that we're inherently okay, right? You see a lot of people are just like, what are you talking about all this bad stuff? We're not so bad. We're okay. We're not that immoral. So the concept of sin and badness to the degree in which the Bible teaches it is a very controversial idea to many people. And they don't want to accept it. Even many people who call themselves Christians want to push back um, against this truth about uh, human beings being so depraved so bent so there's none righteous not even one and there's no one who understands there's no human being who has understanding of God and then lastly on that verse 11 is that there's none who seeks for God so Israel is seeking Israelites are seeking God but are they seeking God rightly chapter 10 verses 1 and 2 no, they're, they're doing it ignorantly, not ignorant of knowledge, but they're not doing it in accordance with the true knowledge, which they actually have. They're remaining dark in their understanding to what, what the truth really is. And that is salvation through faith alone, by God's grace alone. And that they're, they're seeking to establish their own righteousness was a totally wrong way of trying to gain favor with God, that they're trying to earn salvation in some way. I, I, I can merit salvation. I can be a good person. I have understanding. I am seeking God. And God says, no, there's none who seek. There's none who truly seek me because you guys don't have understanding. So you can seek God, and you can do very religious things, but it does not end up in you obtaining God and salvation. You can err too far and not submit yourself to God's whole message about Jesus Christ, about what repentance means and sin means and forgiveness through Christ alone, and what faith alone means. Or that Jesus is the source of your righteousness and you submit to the reality that I need him and I can only enter heaven because of him. You get that concept and you believe that. I'm sinful. Jesus is right. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life and the way to the Father. I will cling to him alone. I will cling to him alone. But people were rejecting that idea and rejecting Jesus telling them that they're a bad person and that they need help that they're sinful but you had lots of people even a woman caught in adultery 
or a woman who's had five husbands and has been very adulterous through her mm -hmm. whole life. Jesus is offering her forgiveness. People in great sin. He says, I'm offering you living water. You know what? And the woman's like, she doesn't understand it fully, but she starts coming around to the idea like, okay, I want to know more about you. And she goes against the town, and we see that there's very much a faith in her that's coming to Jesus. And Jesus offers salvation to sinners. People that the religious people didn't like and didn't want to associate with at all. So the gospel is very, very humbling, and it's very open to the worst in the world. And so we, too, should not be ashamed to go after sinful people, even the most sinful people. Okay, so the rest of the context, <clears throat> there are none who seek for God. How do these two ideas go together? How can there be none who seek for God, but some people are seeking for God? Anybody want to answer that? Would that be any different than people who go to church, but they're, they're hoping they have enough good works on that side to cover up the other things that weren't good? You know, they're, they're trying to do enough good works to go to heaven. Yes. And, and if that's, that's one part of it. The knowledge that can be a part of it. That, What's that, Lisa? That chapter 10 with a form of legalism <clears throat> my work can gain me into heaven my deeds, my goodness, my understanding my seeking for God the reality is like we are reading back here in Romans 3 is that there is none who actually seeks for God and so that means I believe spiritually and physically, there is none who is actually truly seeking for God on their own, of their own willful effort or conscience to come to the true living God and to agree with him with what he says about the scriptures. I don't believe anybody actually has that ability because what Paul says, there are none who seek because what it says back at the end of verse 9, all are under sin. Sin has such an influence over us that there is none who truly seek for God. And you decided, like the disciples of Jesus said, follow me, and, and they weren't saved when they started, were they? Yes, John I, would tell us, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. Mm. Yeah, is John what I would six. say about that. John 6, uh, you're in John 6 mm -hmm. right there, yeah. <laughs> so John 6 really talks about how <laughs> Jesus, at the end, Peter says, no, we're going to follow you. And he's like, just remember, Peter, it's not you who chose me, I chose you. He actually tells him. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You go back to Luke when he confesses that this is the, you're the Christ, Son of the Living God. Jesus says, "No, no one can know this unless what the Father reveal it." Yes. So that that's how all the disciples would have responded to the call because the Father drew them. Yes. Exactly. Another wonderful passage. Uh, John's a really wonderful resource that talks about God's sovereignty and bringing salvation about in somebody's life. So there's no incongruence here between the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul. They're speaking the same message using different words that mean the same things. Okay, so people are, are seeking God, but they're not obtaining God. 
but it's those who are chosen by the Father. Um, they're the ones who obtained it, it being salvation, and the rest of the Israelites were hardened. And this, theologically, this is true of, of everybody. Specifically in this passage, Paul is dealing with Israelites, ethnic Israelites. So we have the disciples who are believing. We have from Acts and Luke, we, we read that there's hundreds, thousands, perhaps thousands of disciples of Jesus, but there's tens of thousands, perhaps millions of Israelites that are unbelieving and that are straight out oppositional to Jesus. Remember we read that John 9 passage about the blind man and how viciously opposed the synagogue was to Jesus and this guy throwing him out. And then his parents were like, we disown this guy because they don't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. That's what Jesus means when he says, count the cost and I came to divide a house against each other. You know, your sons, your daughters, your children might betray one another on account of me. And in, in the Jewish culture at the time, to choose one rabbi over another and that was going against the whole system, that was like, woof, you're, you're getting severed here. You're getting cut off. And we actually see that happen when the Sanhedrin commissioned Saul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, to actually start killing Christians and start bringing them in and uh, imprisoning them. They, they stoned Stephen to death for saying Jesus is the Christ whom you're rejecting. That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. Okay, so people truly... Okay, so the Bible harmonizes these two ideas of seeking. How can you seek but not seek at the same time? So people who truly seek God, those are those... It's only true that they truly seek God in the true sense that results in salvation because God seeks them. The Father draws them. The Spirit illuminates. These are the types of words that are used throughout the New Testament. It says that God makes them alive spiritually, and this is what Ezekiel prophesied back in Ezekiel 36 and in Jeremiah 31 and in other such places. That, And this is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel. But unless you be born from above, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Nicodemus' response is like, that's impossible. I have nothing to do with being born from above. It has to happen from above, not from below. And that was Jesus' point. It comes from above. It, it, it does not start here on earth. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and why is because God is to receive every iota of boasting and glory in anyone who is saved. There is not to be one ounce of thinking that I gained God by my own strength, will, or value. The second concept I want to talk about is, so first concept I was trying to talk about is seeking, this idea of seeking in the Bible. We have all these different passages that talk about seeking. One of them's here. We talked about some of the others. Second, I want to talk about is the idea of free will. Um, the term free will actually doesn't occur in the Bible. The term will does. But free does not anywhere. And so I kind of want to go into just addressing or talking or bringing some of that up today. Today in Western society and Christianity, uh, we have a place a great deal of value on the individual's freedoms. Where do you think that comes from in our educational system? idea of freedom. Maybe you read the Constitution. 
unfortunately, we get some of our thinking from there. <coughs> Don't go to the Constitution for theological thinking, okay? <coughs> so if there is a God who says you are not free, well, that's not the God that I like. Um, that goes against everything we've maybe heard in school, and unfortunately in a lot of churches too, and that goes against our rebellious nature, that desire to be autonomous, self-willed, self-governed. I'm going to pursue my own life, my own liberty, and my own happiness, right? And I can do it myself. Isn't that everywhere in our country? Isn't that the idea that you hear every day from coworkers? I'm going to retire and go do this, I'm going to go do that. You can't even stop one hair on your head from graying, Jesus says. Everything that happens is allowed by the Father. Not one sparrow flits to the ground apart from the Father's will. God's will is always emphasized in the Scripture over humans, unfortunately. We've, as a society, have tried to reverse that, as if God has to deal with our will in some way and figure it all out. But I believe that's a very backward concept to what the Bible reveals Okay, so many schools might say, whatever you want to be, you're free, you're free, you're free. You can go anywhere, you can do anything. But is that philosophically true? Do you have the strength, the understanding, and the knowledge to absolutely be 100% free and go to the end of the universe and beyond? Nope. Can you go to Mars right now? Can you breathe its air? So you're constrained... Your freedom is very much constrained. Your ability is constrained. You, you recognize physical limitations in yourself, yes? Is it so hard to understand that perhaps the immaterial, the soul, and the will has limitations? Is governed by some things? Just as your body is made with limitations, I believe so also the, the Bible says your will has limitations. One thing I believe we can see is that environment, knowledge, understanding, and especially our desires affect what actually comes out of the will. So there's something that precedes the will that you have no control over. Where were you born? Did you have any control over being born where you were born or the family you were born into? How many children are born into Muslim homes and they have no control over that? How could that be God's will? Well, it is. It is God's will. Where people are born, but what they understand comes from the Lord, ultimately. So I want us to start to just broaden some of our thinking and think, think big, think world, think universal. Start thinking really big about some of these things. And start asking questions. Questions are good. Right, Wanda? Right. <laughs> questions are good. They're good. They're good for us. It makes us grow. It makes us grow in our thinking and our understanding. And prayerfully, we should all grow in holiness, right? Amen. That's, that's, a, that's a mandate no matter what. <clears throat> okay, so our hearts are under a sinful influence. Romans 3, 9, all are under sin. God has judicially chosen to harden us in sin since the fall of Adam. Back in Romans 5, 19. Romans 5, 19 says we were all made sinners. The next part of that verse is one day you will be made righteous. Do you make yourself righteous? So we're being made something by an outside source. 
And so I, let me define what that means by being made sinners. I'm not saying that God makes you sin. That being made means he turns you over to a nature that's sinful. And that's a judicial punishment that happened back in Adam. Some people really struggle with this concept, that we're born sinful. My children are born sinful. Well, that, that's just unjust. That seems so unfair, right? But we see sin come out of the most infant child. Rebellious. <clears throat> Nobody's arguing with that. Everybody's like, yeah, I've dealt with kids. <laughs> They're not so nice all the time. Okay, so we can, we can see the effects of sin in humanity, in our life, in our own families. We can see sin. We can observe it. Um, and God's helping us have understanding on the parameters of it. I believe here, and in many passages. God can continue to harden anyone in sin, give a spirit of stupor, give a spirit of confusion at any time. He can continue to judicially hand people over to sin or more sin and, and remo remove other things from their life and their desires that will affect their will toward a more sinful area and path. Uh, God can give them eyes to see not. Uh, literally, it means to, to blind. God can blind. So how does God do these things? Why does God do these things? The reality is that God is the subject in this sentence that performs the action. But that's what Scripture says. We have to deal with it, right? We have to try to understand it, believe it, and know what it means. Anybody struggling with the implications? So anyway, God gives them a spirit of stupor, confusion, eyes to see not, ears to hear not, down to this very day. That doesn't sound... Are you free to see? Somebody free to see. Do they have the ability and the freedom to see? Do you have the ability to hear? Do you have the freedom to hear? Do you think you have the right to hear God, you sinful, wicked person? Wicked, sinful, ugly. You deserve no part of God. Do you think anyone has a right to see God or hear God? No one. The gospel is painful. No one has a right to touch God, to see God, or to know Him. God has every right to leave, to send people to hell forever. Forever. Everyone deserves that. It's by God's grace you obtain something else. So two helpful passages that I appreciate God's given us in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Timothy 2. You guys want to look there? 2 Corinthians 4, please. And then we'll go to 1 Samuel.
verse 3 says this, even if our gospel, so Paul, the apostle, is saying, even if our gospel is veiled, eyes to see, similar language, veiled, I can't see it, can't see something, even if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So the gospel is hidden, it's veiled, it's, you can't see it, you can't lay hold of it, they can't see it. Verse 4, in whose case, so these people who can't see the gospel, they don't have the ability to see the gospel because, in verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So here we see as a source, an entity, I believe it's talking about Satan here, has the ability to blind human minds. Not God, it's not human, the God of this world has the ability to blind human beings' eyes to where they cannot see. That's not very free. That's not 100% free. And it specifically says, so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God and his will and sovereignty has allowed Satan to have the power and the ability to blind people to where they can't even see or accept Jesus in any way. They're totally blind, it says, to it, his beauty. They can't fathom it. They have no understanding. They have no understanding. Um, 2 Timothy 2, please. And then we'll go to 1 Samuel. Verse 24 of 2 Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy, his disciple, pastor of Ephesus. Now, and he says, the Lord's bondservant, the Lord's slave, which is Timothy, the pastor of this church. Timothy, you, God's slave, must not be quarrelsome. You must be kind to all peoples. You must be able to teach and you must be patient when you are wronged. Verse 25, with gentleness, you should correct those who are in opposition to you, for those who cannot see the gospel, for those who are persecuting you when they wrong you, for those who can't accept the truth. You need to be gentle toward those, and you need to strive to correct those in gentleness, because perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses. They don't have their senses. They don't have their abilities. They don't have the ability to see. They don't have the ability to hear. They don't have their senses that are necessary to come to the gospel or to see its beauty and its glory. And escape from the snare of the devil. So the snare of the devil is holding their senses back, their abilities that they can't even get out from themselves. And they've been held captive or they're a prisoner of the devil. They're held captive by him, the devil, to do his... They're not doing their own will. In a sense, they are. It's sin. This passage is teaching that they're doing the will of Satan, and they don't even realize it. They're prisoners of Satan and Satan's will, and they don't even know it. Everybody that you see out there in the world that is unbelieving and continues to reject the, the gospel, have grace. Be kind. Don't be quarrelsome. Present the truth to them in love because 
apart from God's grace, they cannot escape the snare of the devil which they are under. Be, be patient. Be kind with them. Continue to love. Pray that God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Because repentance comes from God, this passage says. And they don't have their senses to get there on their own. They're underneath the captivity of Satan. First Samuel, please. We'll just read the passage. I'll let you guys think about it for a while. Like I said, I was trying to read about Jonathan and David's friendship, and I ended up coming across this passage, which I found very interesting. 1 Samuel 19, verses 18 says this, Now David fled and escaped from, and came to Samuel at Ramah, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. Saul, the king, had been persecuting David and was jealous of him that he was going to be king. And Saul wanted Jonathan to be king, but Jonathan himself was willing to be David's friend, and he's happy for David to become king. What an amazing friendship. Okay, that's what I really want to talk about, but... <clears throat> It was said to Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel, standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So the first wave of messengers were came to take David to bring him back to Saul so Saul could cut his head off. And when they got there, they couldn't do what was on their mind to do. They were stopped by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God opposed what they wanted to do, and they were unable to do it. They started prophesying instead. Uh, wave 2. <clears throat> 21. When it was told of Saul, he sent other messengers. So the next wave of messengers. And they also couldn't do it. It says they started prophesying when they got there. Wave 3. So Saul sent messengers again the third time. Three sets of messengers. And they also prophesied. All these guys were sent on their mind to take David and kill him for Saul. And they could not do it. The Spirit of God filled them and had them do something very different. They couldn't speak evil of David and they couldn't stop, do anything but what the Lord decided for them to do at that moment. 22. Then he himself, Saul, went to Ramah and came as far as the large well that is in uh, Seku, and he asked and he said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Behold, they are at Nioth and Ramah. So he proceeded there to Nioth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. Came upon Saul, who wanted to kill David. The Spirit came upon him. So that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Nioth at Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes and he prophesied to before Samuel. And he lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, the people were saying, is Saul also now among the prophets? Just to, just to get you thinking about what that might mean. Another example of how men came to do something. They set their minds on doing something, but they were unable to do what they were desiring and had planned to do. That God is able to stop that from happening. And that they actually did something that they were not. I don't believe that the passage leads us to believe that they will to start prophesying that God actually made them start doing that. Anybody remember back in Numbers, the prophecy of Balaam? <clears throat> Balaam was hired to curse Israel, but he couldn't. Every time he opened his mouth, blessing came out. 
He was not trying to bless Israel. He kept trying to do something else. And every time words came out, other words came out. God. 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 Lord, thank you for this time. Help us to love you, serve you, and love Jesus Christ. Serve one another for you and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.